0: All right, we're going to talk to Jim and Mary and James in that order, and Jim is up first. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Morning, sir.
1: I have an olive tree that a neighbor gave to me three summers ago. It was at the time she gave it to me. It was like about a two- or three-gallon pot, and maybe it was up uh, about 18 inches, 24 inches, of like that.
2: Okay. So I put it in the
1: ground the first season. It seemed to do okay and it grew up, uh but in the fall the deer came by and decided to make a rub out of it and oh yeah. Whirled it down to nothing. So I didn't you know was hoping it might come back and it did the next season and it did okay and I put a little fence around to keep the deer away. Um and but that freeze we had I guess two summers ago uh froze it back down again. Okay. So this year this past summer um, you know, it was kind of dry in the early part of the summer, most of the summer, I guess. And I, I was kind of religiously watering it and seeing how it would do. It. It, it. Anyway, it was doing okay, and then we got all those rains in uh, September, <laughs> October. Right. The shot up, and so now the the uh, the branches. It's over ten feet tall, but it's uh, there's like two or three stalks, but it's you know maybe about two inches diameter or less. Uh, but when we got all that rain in, in uh, September, October, it kind of got like, a, like it got waterlogged and just started drooping over. Well, I tried to you know uh, hold it up against the, uh, you know, keep it up straight, but still the very top is kind of drooping over. And then with the wind, I'm sure, we, I haven't looked at it this morning, but with the wind we're having, I'm sure, it's just really bent over. And I oh, guess the probably. question is, should I be cutting it back or what, should I do, What's the best thing to do for these things?
0: And is that in full sun?
1: Yeah, it's full uh, full morning sun. In late afternoon, uh, it's kind of in the the late afternoon is in the shade.
0: Okay. And do you know is this one of the ornamental olives, like the little olie, or is this one of the productive ones, like Arba or Mission or one of those?
1: That I don't <laughs> know. I think the the neighbor said she got it at that Sandy Orchard place. Sandy the Oaks.
0: Door. Probably a productive one then. Well, olives grow best as a bush. I mean, uh, commercially, they prune them up into trees just to make them easier to maintain, easier to pick the fruit from and all. But the the way it grows is really kind of going to be dependent on how you decide to prune it. Anytime you have a big, you know, just literally sudden burst of growth like we had coming out of a drought growing into practically a monsoon season, the wood is naturally going to be a little bit weaker. You're going to have a little bit less straight up growth, a lot more spreading growth. If you want it to be a prettier tree, you can certainly take some of those long limbs and just cut them back, take some of the weight off the ends, and you will get more upright growth. But the tree doesn't really care. Now, it wouldn't be good for it to blow all the way over to, in effect, uproot the root ball, but if it's had three years to get a root system established, that's probably not going to happen. So, if you want to do a bit of pruning on it to reshape it, you can certainly do so. I'd probably wait till oh sometime mid to late February to do that, but the tree doesn't really care. It's just, uh, you know, it's kind of like letting your hair grow. You can let it grow really long or you can buzz cut it, but... Um, You will make a a more, I guess you'd say, physically attractive plant by doing a bit of pruning on it. But you know, Mother Nature knows best. She's just gonna. She may make it grow any shape uh, that it wants to grow. But olives are usually grown from cuttings. They're not grafted trees, so we're not worried about growth coming out here or there on them. So I'm going to tell you, you know, just. If you want it to be more upright, yes, prune it. When you get these long sort of water sprout growths, cut them back, force the tree to branch out a little bit. But if you just leave it alone, it's ultimately going to make a nice, big, strong plant for you.
1: Okay, but just uh, prune mid, probably mid-February. But the Mid-February,
0: plant. early March would be, would be Almost best.
1: Almost the branching is taking place at the very top. Yeah, so A little buzz. but that's
0: okay to go ahead and mid February. It is okay to do it then. Now, the more sun it gets, the more likely it is to branch. You know, down lower. But um, it sounds like it's getting pretty good amount of sunlight. It sounds like it's just had a number of setbacks between weather and deer and other things like that. So it's uh, it's going to take it a little time to get established and grow the way you want it to. But it sounds like a healthy plant that's going to do fine, pretty much regardless of what you do to it
1: okay great thank you well
0: you're certainly welcome thanks for the call this morning Bye bye. all right mary is next good morning mary
3: hey bob happy saturday to
0: you and to you as well
3: i was calling because i have a pear tree that i need to move is it too late to move it
0: not at all any time that during the what well, the dormant season when the leaves are off of it is a fine time to move it how how big is this pear
3: uh, not too big, maybe a little bit close to five feet.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. That's you know that's that's a, a job that shouldn't take you more than an hour to do. Just have your new yeah. hole dug. Um, be ready when you take it out of one place and replant in the next. You want to be sure that it gets watered in immediately. And of course, mm-hmm. as we always say. Uh, You know, be sure that root flares exposed. Even if the graft points six inches out of the ground, that's perfectly normal. You just don't want to bury that trunk of the tree. But, no, we're still in You've probably got actually two to three weeks of good time left to prune it, but the sooner the better. I'm sorry to transplant it, but sooner the better. And don't prune it when you move it. Pruning on pear trees encourages a very blight, susceptible growth. So just put Mm -hmm. the pruning shears away, do your work with your shovel today, and you'll be all set.
3: Okay. And what about uh I got a Texas and a Florida peach. Should I prune those?
0: Um the peach I would very definitely prune. Now when you say a Florida peach, tell me tell me what you mean by that.
3: I don't know. That's all I remember about it. I'm 71. <laughs> Okay. I remember my child. So, all I know is that one was a Texas peach and the other was a Florida peach. Well, see, here's. The Florida one is, is growing a lot bigger than the
0: than the Texas one. The problem with most of the peaches that are grown in Florida is they're what we call very low chilling peaches. It doesn't take a lot of cold to put them into dormancy. And mm-hmm. many years they bloom too early and then freeze back. So, okay. you're. you're prospects for getting fruit are not as good as they are on your Texas peach tree but yes when the trees are young they should be given major pruning to give them sort of a a martini glass shape with an open center and branching fairly low After you Uh get that shape started, every winter, you should go through and thin out about 40 to 50% of the growth, uh, the new growth coming out. You don't want to just cut all the limbs back, but you want to go through and thin out all the little growth coming up and down on the individual limbs. That's what it will take to keep the tree healthy and productive, and that's an every-year thing. Like I say, the first year is when you really want to kind of set the shape of that tree and you want the limbs radiating out like the spokes on a wheel and you want it to Mm -hmm. have sort of a goblet shape or a martini glass shape to it. But uh, that's something you really only have to do once.
3: Okay. Well, thank you so much for your help and thank you for being there for everybody else, okay?
0: No, it's a great pleasure. Thank you, Mary. appreciate the call this morning. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. While I say good morning, James. Oh, morning, Bob. Hey, I,
4: I didn't know if that was you or a commercial.
0: <laughs> no, that's uh, that, that's me live and in person with only half a voice. But I think I've got all my brain together today, so uh, uh, hope the hope the voice hangs out till nine o'clock.
4: Yeah, good luck, man. Um, hey, we had a question and uh, the other day, and uh, <clears throat> you're it. Nobody could answer the question.
0: So. Oh, I'm on the spot.
4: Um, uh, when you, uh, make the cut flower arrangements, they use, uh, what they call a filler. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is that a common plant that can be grown or is that you got to, you know, how does that work?
0: Well, it's, they are, I guess, are common plants in other parts of the country, but oh. in this part of the country... There are some of them that you can grow. Uh, Some of the different plants they call status. Uh, Now, that is one that's often used as a filler that can be grown in this area. The so-called baby's breath or gypsophilia, no, that's not real good. And most of the little flowering plants, um, I guess you could grow them, but there are not many of them that really do well. Now, if you're looking for a green filler, then, uh, yeah. something, uh, something like the asparagus that we call the Ming Fern, Asparagus Marioclatus. That one grows super easily, and it's one of the prettiest cut foliages you'll ever find, and it'll last for usually easily six weeks. But uh, it grows just like the uh, so-called foxtail, asparagus springer rye. It's a little more upright, and it's a beautiful plant in the landscape. But uh, if you're looking to grow your own green filler, uh, that's going to be the best of the best. And, uh, yes, it is grown very easily and very successfully here.
4: What about that? Excuse me. What about that Jersey giant or that I've got growing in that eighty foot row asparagus?
0: Um, if you harvested it very young, uh yes, you could use that as a filler, but it's not going to be nearly as compact as the so called uh, Ming fern or Ming asparagus. I hate calling them ferns because as you and I both know, they are not ferns. They are, you know, a flowering plant, an asparagus. But uh if you've got if you've got friends that are wanting to grow, uh, you know, something as a good filler, just plant a bunch of the Ming fern. I mean, it'll be beautiful in a flower bed, and then just every time you've, uh, I mean, you'll go through three batches of cut flowers before you have to replace your filler on that one. It lasts so well in water. Ming. Yeah, M-I-N-G. If you want to look it up, it's asparagus myriocletus. I believe that's M-Y-R-I-O, but I'd have to look that one up to tell you. But Probably any good nursery out there is going to have ming fern. It's gotten to be very popular and very widely grown.
4: Well, that's good advice. Uh, I've got some <laughs> friends down at the local nursery that can help me uh, maybe get a start at that.
0: So. Oh, absolutely, and, and it will make the little red seeds just like other asparagus does. Um, it is, like I say, it's a little slower growing than either the foxtail or the asparagus sprungeri, but... Man, it's just, it's, it's bulletproof. It's just, you're not going to go wrong with it. It's going to stay evergreen down into the low 20s. It will grow well in shade or in sun. I think probably the very best place would be morning, sun, afternoon, shade, but plant a pretty bed of that and it'll be beautiful in the landscape and then just any time you you got the urge to put some cut flowers in the home and I think that's one thing people should do much more often uh you've got your all the supplies you need to have a beautiful green filler to go with it
4: well the thing is I'm taking uh one of my beds out of production I I was doing cantaloupe but Everybody complains about the price, and I just tell them to go to HEB. So sure. I'm going to grow cut flowers, uh, which are appreciated and not complained about.
0: <laughs>
4: so, you know, go go get your rock-hard cantaloupes at HDB is what I'm going to tell them.
0: Well, they're sure missing out. I planted a rock-hard cantaloupe in Florida this past week, and and we have more than one comment, uh, my business partner and I, saying, boy, this doesn't taste like Texas cantaloupe. This is a good restaurant, but they don't they don't know what good cantaloupe tastes like. But, no, if you uh, – and, and like I say, this doesn't have to be in one of your – commercial production beds but just you know out there on the border of your property around your home wherever you want to plant yourself a big bed of ming fern and you could go out and you know cut and put like four shoots of that just put a rubber band around the base and sell that as a filler and uh uh, get a good price for it and like i say it's perennial it's something you plant once and you've got it for the next 20 years so um
4: the deer aren't going to bother it
0: no more than they bother other asparagus. <laughs> which means you pick your deer. Some asparagus or some deer will want to eat on it, but um it's, uh, it's certainly no more susceptible than foxtail or uh you know, spring or eye any of the other ones that are commonly grown.
4: Okay, well that's that's good advice. Ming, Ming asparagus, I'm yep. on them. A- I'm going to tell the guys down at the nursery that, see if they can get me some.
0: Well, and do it this way, uh, James. You, they can probably get you, you know, a, a little cell pack. There's no reason you have to, you know, pay 8 or 10 bucks for a gallon can. You ought to be able to buy it, if you look around, you ought to be able to buy it in either a 4-inch pot or even in that little 36-cell tray and it shouldn't cost you very much to get into the business. And like I say, you have to be a little patient with it because it's certainly not going to grow as fast as a cantaloupe. But once you plant it one time, you've got no other expenses other than just feed and water. I've never seen an insect problem on it, and uh, I just can't say I've ever ever really seen a problem with it. It's just about as tough and easy to grow. It'll survive uh, real wet weather. It'll survive severe drought. It's just kind of a, a dream plant for this part of Texas.
4: Well, that uh, that row of uh, Jersey Supreme or, or Jersey night, i can't really remember—that yeah. uh, eighty-foot row. I started that uh, that uh, that row from seed. Yeah, I got Johnny's, so it's even if I could get some seed, it wouldn't be a problem for me to get going.
0: Oh yeah, it's just you know how how anxious are you to have this stuff up and growing? And uh, I'm sure I'm not. Uh, you know seed sources better than I do but um, yeah look for either Mingfern fern or asparagus marioclatus and uh, it'll grow easily from seed but if you can get the little plants you're gonna you know cut six months off your production time so do whatever works for uh for you
4: okay oh one thing uh, the tomatoes uh, this uh, this spring uh, it looks like we're gonna be wet all the way through man it's uh it's pretty pretty wet out there yes sir so i'm going to put all my transplants uh all my tomato transplants in four inch soil blocks because uh you can mud those in and you're they'll they'll do well instead of taking a uh a transplant out of a pot so i'm going with the the four inch soil blocks this this year because i don't i think we're going to get more rain
0: well that's what the so-called experts although uh Um, i don't have a lot of respect for the clowns on tv that call themselves meteorologists but i do know a good couple of people who make their living by being right and uh like my friend dale dave nolhoff up in bernie and he says that um there's going to be a lot of moist weather and we may have some heavy rain events but we may also have just You know, lots of the smaller kind of drizzly wet stuff that uh, doesn't put a lot of water in the ground. But looking at least, his forecast is at least through early summer, uh, we're going to have far above average number of rainy days.
4: If it stops raining today, it'll be three or four weeks before some of those beds dry out enough.
0: Oh, I know. I know. And we've got a high chance of rain, uh, you know, toward the middle of next week again. So I think you're real wise to... You just, you know, <laughs> plant on, plan on set, some wet stuff.
4: You can take those four-inch soil blocks with a plant in it and set it right on top of the ground. I mean, right. you can know, cover it up with a <laughs> little soil. It's it's a really wonderful way to transplant.
0: Absolutely. Okay, well,
4: uh, thanks for answering my questions. I sure appreciate your help this morning. Bob.
0: Well, it's always a pleasure. Let me tell you one other thing. Um, you might also, I don't think it's as pretty But while you're looking at asparagus and while you're looking at asparagus seed, look at a species called plumosis, P-L-U-M-O-S-I-S, I I think, maybe S-U-S. But asparagus plumosis, it is also a very commonly used florist filler. It's probably more common, actually, than the Ming fern. I don't think it's as pretty, but uh, it grows faster, and it is a much finer leaf but uh that's one I won't tell you how many years ago I was working in my grandfather's flower shop but that was one of our principal fillers was asparagus plumosus and it um you know it's another one that your ladies probably would love to have but uh like I said I just I like the Ming fern better but if you want to get what the florists are going to have uh plant yourself a little bit of asparagus plumosus too and I'm sure that that one is deer resistant because uh I was uh, delivering poinsettia actually to a to a long-time friend uh, back in the Christmas season, and they are out on the north side of San Antonio where they have real severe deer problems, and she's using that asparagus plumosus literally as a ground cover. Uh, it's going to grow up about 12 to 18 inches tall, and it has more. They're not really thorns, but it has more of those little... Oh, they're kind of a sheath on the side of the stem, and you'll definitely want to wear a thin glove when you're harvesting asparagus plomosis. But that's another—that's um, another real good, real popular, if somewhat more old-time filler. So take a look at asparagus plomosis along with the asparagus mariocladus, and uh, um, it's going to be one of the easiest crops you've ever grown, and certainly the most problem-free.
4: That's real good advice, and I sure appreciate it, Bob.
0: You know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, James. You have a wonderful weekend. Yes, sir. You did the same. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. I ought to take a break, but Javier's been waiting 20 minutes, so I'm not going to make him wait any longer. Good morning, Javier. Hey, Bob. Welcome back. Well, thank you, sir.
5: Uh, are, you, are you familiar with a plant? Uh, it's, uh, it translates to uh, snake's uh, tree
0: snake tree. Right. I,
5: it's supposed to, um, they have them, they say, uh, uh, in Costa Rica and parts of Mexico, but I don't know, we, we have it here as well.
0: I would doubt it because, uh, you know, they're simply much more tropical. Very few things that grow well there are going to survive our winters, even here in San Antonio. The snake uh-huh. snake plant that i know is something called sansevieria and some of those things may get 10 12 feet tall but it's really not a tree it has upright blades it's a plant that comes out of north africa and a very interesting plant it's very beautiful house plant but i i kind of doubt that that's you know that that's the one you're speaking of but uh um like say most of these tropical plants really don't do well with our winters here you might get by with it for one or two years but uh, ultimately i'm afraid you're gonna probably gonna lose it in a freeze
5: well it's supposed to be a a, a medicinal uh, uh, plant Uh, but i don't know what it looks
0: like i just you know do you do you have a botanical name on it
5: no, they okay. just made that. they they uh, just repeated that uh, uh, translates to uh, snakes tree, and I've never heard of that. But.
0: I'm afraid I haven't either. But if you learn more about it, I'd love to hear from you.
5: Okay, I was going to ask you. Uh, oh, actually, to tell you, I know you weren't here the weekend last weekend. Uh, they they ran a uh, rerun again of Doctor Sassel, So I, I guess that other doctor's not going to step up
0: to the uh... well i you know i'm not sure and next time i see him i actually went by and had a nice visit with him uh um over at dr staffel's office the other day and mark's a really capable guy and um i'll ask maybe maybe my engineer don uh this morning might know what that's about although we get left in the dark uh pretty much around here we're we're just the guys who sure. show up and do the work but uh <laughs> I, uh, I'll call Beth, I'll ask one of the girls at Dr. Staffel's office, because they know more than anybody else about what's going on in the world, and uh, I'll see if I can find out a little bit more about what the plans are, but uh, um, Um, they're still buying the time on the air, and I'm not sure what the delay i've given him the name of a couple of people that i think would make very good guests on his show so uh, i'll get back with dr williamson and, and see if he has an idea when they'll actually start running him on the air because uh, i think it's gonna be a real good show i'm looking forward to hearing him
5: right And the that last thing uh, real quick uh when you talk to the third doctor today yeah uh, can you ask him uh you mentioned it one time uh and i'm not too clear uh about the, because you said he consumes uh, vinegar. Yeah, but I don't know whether it's uh, white vinegar. No, or no, it's it's
0: cider. apple cider vinegar. I'll I'll flip over to eight o'clock on my log here and make a note. Ask Howard about all about apple cider vinegar. Yes, it's uh, um, yes, like, uh, it's and and if, it's you're, if you're if you're looking for the one, and I think it's the one he uses, one that you can get. Oh, I'm sure at Whole Foods or um, you know uh, Nature or uh, natural Raider. grocers, uh, but it's called Bragg's B R A G G S. Okay. It's called Bragg's apple cider vinegar, and it uh, it's got kind of a cloudy sediment-looking stuff in it. They call the mother. I'm not sure exactly where that name comes from, but uh, Bragg's apple cider vinegar is a is a really good supplement and does a lot of good things. But I'll get Howard to talk a little bit more about it today.
5: Yeah, like you know, like how much and how he takes it, you know, um, like maybe have mix it with other beverage or, or you know, just curious.
0: Uh, people do different things, and uh, it it does have a vinegary taste, but uh, obviously, but it's it's certainly not like white vinegar. It's uh, it's more pleasant than that, but. <laughs> so apple,
5: apple cider uh, it won't do then.
0: Uh, no, it's when. When apple cider goes through a fermentation process, that's what produces vinegar. And um, whereas your white vinegars are chemically derived acetic acid is basically what they are, apple cider vinegar is a natural vinegar that is made through the fermentation of apples. Uh, I guess if you left your apple cider sitting around long enough, it would turn to apple cider vinegar. I see.
5: Okay, well I'll listen to see what he says and thanks a
0: lot, Bob. It's always a pleasure, Javier. It's good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye, Mike. Goodbye. All right. Let's get back to gardening here. We're gonna to talk to Kitty and a man with a very good name, Bob. We're gonna to talk to Kitty and Bob and Mike and Roy. And Kitty's up first. Good morning, Kitty. Good
6: morning, Bob. I think I drowned my rosemary. Is there anything I can do to get it out of the pot and maybe dry it up? Because I think I watered it too much. It looks a little bedraggled.
0: And is it getting kind of dry looking, kind of a gray look to it?
6: No, it looks a little blackish,
0: actually. Um, You can, I, I wouldn't try to take it out of the pot. Um, you can water it in with some garret juice. Um, sometimes a uh, uh, little product, unfortunately not organic but the inorganic component is just a tiny amount uh, but what they call super thrive and it will occasionally bring things back but rosemary unfortunately a lot of time when it gets to that state it's time to dry it and use it in the kitchen and just put a fresh plant in rosemary very very susceptible to staying too wet and once it starts downhill I just to be honest have to tell you it's hard to bring back.
6: Oh, it's i was afraid of darn it. Also, I have holes all over my yard, and I'm wondering: I have um, what do I put in the holes so people won't break their ankles walking in it? You know, from the droughts we've had for years. You
0: mean you just have cracks in the ground? You just yes. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is in the lawn? Is this in a bare area?
6: It was in the bare area. I've got winter grass over it now.
0: Okay. I would make a mixture of uh, a coarse sand and compost, or if you can get what they call the petite red sand. Uh, Somewhere like Stone and Soil Depot is going to call it lawn dressing, Mm -hmm. and um, that – uh, I, you know, for something to actually put on the grass to enhance the grass, I like straight compost, but where you're actually trying to fill in an area and you want a little more physical structure to it, what they call their lawn dressing, which is a basically a mixture of compost and the petite red sand, I, I wouldn't use just common fill sand because long term that can make the soil harder rather than softer but that uh, high iron red sand or a more coarse sand uh, and you know like a 50 50 mix with compost is what i would use to fill in
6: Okay, thank you very much. You take care of that throat of yours. Oh, <laughs>
0: it's it's uh, things don't usually get me, but boy, I don't feel bad. This just is hung on for too long, so I'm sitting here with my my honey lace tea, and hopefully we'll make it through the next couple of hours. It's uh, uh, good to talk to you. You have a uh, and just have a great weekend.
6: You. you also take some Meyer lemon juice with that honey tea.
0: I I think that <laughs> will be the next thing on my list.
6: Take care. <laughs> Thanks, thank you.
0: Kitty. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, it's Bob's turn. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing great. <clears throat> it's uh,
7: great to get up in the morning, take that first breath of air, and remember who you are.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a, That's the way every day should start.
7: <laughs> yes. I had some health problems this last year, and I let my garden go. <clears throat> now I've got little grass, not little grass, little weeds all over the place. Okay. Uh, they're real low. You can't, you can't pick them. Because they're just basically, you know, ground level. Uh huh. What What can I get in there
0: to uh, get rid of the weeds? And what kind of grass do you have?
7: I mean, it's not grass; it's
0: just weeds. Oh, but but in you don't have garden. a basic grass like Bermuda or St. Augustine or something. No, no, no. Well, you know, just in the garden. Oh, in the garden. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is are they are they green weeds at this point? Yes. Okay. Just make your uh, mixture of vinegar and orange oil uh you know uh, it's uh one gallon of strong vinegar and two ounces of orange oil or two jiggers depending on how you want to look okay. at it and just a little uh squirted dish soap this will kill okay. the green weeds oh literally within minutes i don't think i would to do it on a day as windy as today is going to be but just your vinegar okay. or orange oil spray will kill those green weeds out but it leaves no residue behind in the garden and um okay. there's no reason you could not plant you know the you know 20 minutes after you've sprayed but i would want to let those weeds die back as thoroughly as possible now the bad news is that most of those green weeds that are in the garden right now have already made a ton of seed so you're going to kill down what's there and you may spray now you may spray again in four or five weeks before you really start setting out your warm season vegetables but uh, just uh, orange oil and vinegar is all you need to kill things out Okay.
7: Um, the, another thing I have is uh, when I the other day on, on my broccoli plants, on the bottom side of the leaves I had um, a gazillion little green bugs.
0: Yeah, probably aphids.
7: Yeah. What's the best way to get rid of those?
0: Um, aphids are a sign that your broccoli is under a little bit of stress. It could be staying too wet or whatever. Aphids themselves are real easy to kill, I like a product out there that's called Spinosad Soap, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D. Um, it's totally okay. safe. It's not going to make your broccoli. Um, I'd wash it before I ate it, but it's not going to leave any toxic residue on there, and it will kill the, uh, it'll kill the aphids almost overnight. Other thing to do, you could always release some ladybugs, but in the case of these, uh, there's a green aphid and a gray aphid, both of which uh, seem to love cabbage and broccoli. I want them to die very quickly. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I would use uh, – and, and the spinosad soap comes ready to use. All you do is turn a little nozzle on the top of it, and you're ready to go kill aphids. Uh, one other thing I will tell you, is your broccoli starting to produce, Are you actually getting heads yet?
7: Yeah, I've got some little big heads, and they're about the size of a nickel.
0: Okay, well, when the heads get big enough to harvest – one thing I like to do with broccoli, just to be on the safe side, is I will always soak it in some salt in some salt water before I cook it or use it in any other way. And mm-hmm. that uh, when you put it in fairly strong salt water, any of those little green worms, any aphids that are in or around, they let go and come floating to the surface. And uh, while it's a little less protein. Uh, in the dish, it certainly is a little more appetizing. <laughs> you don't want your guests to find uh, unwanted critters in there, but uh, that little saltwater soak will take care of uh, a lot of different things that might make your broccoli a little less appetizing. But as far as killing the aphids, now get you some spinosad soap, and uh, uh, it'll get them okay. in a hurry.
7: Okay. On, a, on another note, um, the apple cider vinegar. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, I race pigeons, and a lot of people who race pigeons, Give that to the birds religiously at least once or twice a week. Oh, yeah. It's, it, helps, it helps the digestive tract.
0: It does, and I've known people that do it with cattle. In fact, uh, there's fella grows some of the best – best looking beef I have ever seen and uh, he injects it into the water in his troughs and uh, he says it totally takes care of internal parasites and things like that as well so I think just about any animal benefits from some of the apple cider vinegar but uh, I'd, I'd not thought about the pigeons but and you know how how sensitive and how tender birds are if there was anything wrong yeah. with it you wouldn't be giving it to them and uh, lots of yeah. folks do so I appreciate you bringing that up
7: yeah, indeed. It's the uh, pH of the, of the apple cider vinegar is, you know, so much lower than our water. So right. It helps a whole
0: lot that way. Oh yeah, and plus it's got all kinds of good micronutrients in it, and uh, it's um, it's just good stuff. Do you do you like the Braggs? Is that the brand you like, or which one do you like? Yes,
7: that's that's that's, that's one I get.
0: Yeah, very good. Well, thanks for sharing, Bob. Always good to hear from you. Okay, thank you. Go kill some aphids. Right. <laughs> thank you. All right, let's get right back to the phone line. It's going to be Mike and Roy and Tom and Lynn, and Mike is up first. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Uh,
2: got a couple of questions, just, just easy ones there. Uh, this is the first year I've had lemons. Okay. And I've heard you talking before about uh, whenever you worry about something going to happen to them, like freezing or something like that, that you can go ahead and take them off the tree and just put them in the freezer.
0: You can do that. Uh, of course, the riper they are, the better. A lemon doesn't ripen once it comes off the tree. It, uh, You know, it's the sunlight hitting the leaves, making the sugars. That's what increases uh, the sweetness and the quality of the lemon. So um, when you pick, you may be, you know, now if these are lemons that have been on the tree all fall, they're probably pretty darn close to ripe. So, Yeah, they're but, pretty close right now. Yeah, but no, you can pick them off, put them in the freezer, and... Um, uh just thaw them out and use them like you would a fresh lemon if uh if you don't have plans to use them immediately that works really well
2: now that that's not kinda like that's not indefinite that's just like six months right
0: um i i can't say that I would say probably a year I'm not sure uh, you know if they were gonna be if you're gonna keep them very long at all, I'd very definitely put them in a plastic bag because of course our freezers uh uh, they've gone to all these dehumidifiers to keep them from building up the old things where we used to have to defrost the freezer, but uh, uh, they, they'll they keep in the freezer a long time. If you are going to put them in plastic bags, uh, do uh, get what they call freezer bags. It's not that they're tougher or anything else, but your regular... Uh, not to use a brand name, but Ziploc or whichever bag, your regular ones can release some toxic chemicals in the freezer. The ones that say freezer bags, they have a little bit different makeup in the way they're made, so they're much, much safer to store any kind of fruit in the freezer.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, the, the only, I mean, I've got a, a boatload of I mean, <laughs> Lucky you. And you can't eat them all, so that's what I'm, I'm saying. Well,
0: there you <laughs> go. So, the other I, uh, thing that i've known people to do if you have the time and don't want to take up as much freezer space, had a friend from down in the Rio Grande Valley that taught many years many, many years ago about squeezing the lemons and then taking the old plastic ice tray and just filling it with uh you know with lemon juice, freeze those cubes hard, and then she'd just take them and twist them into a ziploc bag and just have all these you know little cube size uh, chunks of wonderful fresh lemon juice, and that takes up a lot less room in the freezer, but it takes a little time and a good juicer uh, to do that. But uh, you can do the same thing with grapefruit juice, and it's uh, kind of a real quick way to make a real tasty drink, if you like.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but I have a question on, on honey. I, I, man, I've been using it for uh, well, a couple of years now, but there's always the issue of whether or not it, turn, it, it goes to becoming crystallized. Right. Um, is Is there any way to reverse that?
0: Yeah, just put it in warm water. Just take that bottle and just put it down in warm water. Don't microwave it or anything like that, but just, uh, you know, heat a pan of water on the stove or whatever, and uh, then just set that bottle down in, and it will liquefy very quickly. I'm told that there's a kind of uh, honey that comes out of Florida called Tupelo honey that you never have that problem with, but I'm kind of suspicious of any honey that doesn't crystallize because I figure it's been treated with something. But no, just a, a warm water bath will put that honey back into a liquid state very quickly.
2: It also defeats the purpose of localized hunting.
0: So. Exactly.
2: Okay. Um, and then last but not least, man, I've heard Bruce Dooley for years, but I haven't heard anything from him in a long time. Is he still around?
0: He moved to the uh, Alpine area out in West Texas. Ah. And um, he calls me every now and then. He's working with a, a public radio station out there. And you know every time i talk to him he's just a week away from being on the air and then i talk to him a month later and he's still a week away from being on the air so um bruce is still out there doing all his usual things but if you listen to bruce for very long you know that that man is into so many different things he doesn't have time to do a real thorough job on any one of them so uh, i will pass your greetings along to him next time i talk to him and uh um I, i'll try to encourage him every now and then just call in the show and let us know what's going on with him because he's he spent a lot of time in australia he has a daughter and son-in-law down there i think they actually work for the cia in one of their listing posts or something like that but uh they uh he spent some time down there studied a lot about uh, tropical snake bite and anyway you know bruce he's still going strong to the best of my knowledge but he's uh he's got several acres out in west texas to look after these days
2: yeah he's got some- yeah, very uh, entertaining, to say
0: the least. <laughs> to say the least. Mike, I've got okay. to go to news. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks. Thank, thank you, sir. This is KTSA San Antonio Royce.